the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ibram X. Kendi is not dreaming of a white Christmas. Maybe you haven't heard of Ibram. Maybe you have. He's, he's written some books about racism in America. He was put in charge of the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University a couple of years ago. He's made uh, quite a name for himself and apparently lots of money uh, since George Floyd died. And Boston U opened an inquiry into his Center for anti-racist research after at least seven employees complained about mismanagement and there were lots of questions about how he managed 40 million dollars well that didn't stop netflix from producing a documentary by him called stamped from the beginning and here's what ibram had to say at a screening for it recently that i i don't think uh white uh people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness and and how much um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity. In other words, uh, recognizing that uh, when you when you recognize that you are part and parcel of humanity, in other words, you're not over humanity, right? Uh, it it allows you to really be able to connect to people who don't look like you, who have kinky hair, who have dark skin, uh, and to see yourself in them. And it's whiteness that prevents that. Right? And when you're not able to see yourself uh, in other human beings, that creates all sorts of problems. Um, but not just societal problems, personal problems uh, that, that I think hopefully this, this, this film and this work will, will liberate those folks from. So I, I think it's, this liberate, it's liberating all the way around, right? It, it, you know, I think it, it will liberate, you know, really all of us because, uh, you know, we've all been told a lie about ourselves and other people. Mm. Did you hear that? Mm. That was from the woman sitting on stage listening to that gibberish. Uh, she looked like she was about to faint. She was so impressed by it. Uh, if you'd like to hear more from Ibram, be sure and sign up for Netflix if you don't have it already. Or maybe you've been looking for a good reason to cancel it. That would be it. If it was, I I don't get I have Netflix now, but that will make uh, more unlikely that I ever will again. Anyway, when we come back, our media expert Jeffrey McCall will be here to talk about, among other things, the media's new favorite word, which is dictator. And in our second half hour, some major transgender stupidity from yesterday's Title IX hearings in Washington. Stick around.
Well, put your money on dictator being the word of the year in 2024. Uh, the de- Democrats and their friends in the media have decided to use that word to scare people away from Donald Trump. Jeffrey McCall is professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for The Hill and, a, uh, and often is a guest here with us, and we like having him always, and he joins us right now. Jeff, thanks for coming back on. Great to be with you, John. Thank you. So uh, is it possible that the word dictator just started showing up organically, or could it uh, maybe have been coordinated? <laughs> well, I think we can pretty safely say it's been astroturfed, and it's hard to know exactly from where it came. But pretty clearly there's an effort now to put dictator and Trump together in as many venues as possible, including in the media and in uh, the floor of the Congress and in Democratic stump speeches and wherever else. And it's part of a grander rhetorical uh, strategy to demonize Trump. Uh, And uh, there was a rhetorician named Richard Weaver who once talked about devil terms, uh, terms that just by their very utterance cause a judgment to be made. And this clearly is one, given the history of dictatorships around the world over history. And so this one is the one that is uh, the flavor of the day, so to speak, amongst the left-leaning media. Uh, playing along with progressive activists around the country. Uh, and I think you could put this in the same categories of, of another uh, of another of other uh, phrases or terms that have been used in recent months also, because you might remember uh, right after Trump won election in 2016, Russian collusion was the phrase of the day. And then uh, we also had uh, during COVID, follow the science was the phrase of the day. And right now, of course, we've got Israeli genocide as the phrase of the day. But, uh, you know, over the years, we've seen these rhetorical phrases or terms catch on uh, in the liberal media. Uh, And I'd like to think that there was more independent thought in the establishment media, but there apparently is not. And remember, even after January 6th, the term was insurrection that showed up in every news account. And nobody had ever heard of the term insurrection until all of a sudden it was in every news story. So I think the fact that they're trying to label Trump uh, shows, number one, that they must really be afraid of him. But I I think the thing that Americans, you know, right-minded Americans, and I'm not talking about right-leaning conservative Americans, but just reasonable-thinking Americans, should really try to think, like, what that term really means. And is it even possible? Is it even possible for the President of the United States, regardless of party? to ever become a dictator, because our constitutional framers put in all kinds of safeguards to limit the powers of the chief executive, and Trump can't possibly undo Congress. He can't possibly undo Supreme Court decisions. He can appoint people to the Supreme Court, but it's almost impossible with the system of government we've created to have an actual quote-unquote dictator take over like you might have seen in fascist Italy or someplace like that over the past, or what we now see in places like uh, North Korea or whatever. So, I mean, the people who are using that term are doing it maliciously and with a very careless understanding of what the American government system is actually like. Yeah, and I uh, that's a good point, um, that uh, it's it, there seems to be an absence of questioning the concept of a, a president becoming a dictator. Um, it's, as you said, it, it, it's built in that it, it, it can't happen. Um, and 
you would think that there would be more people in the media pointing that out or asking, I don't know, every, you know, every five minutes now a Democrat shows up on MSNBC or CNN or one of the other uh, left-leaning networks and and will use that uh, phrase, term, and uh, you're going to be hearing it, as I said, now until November. You'd think maybe one media person would say, well, seriously, uh, based on our system of government, how, do you, how would that happen? How... how how could he become a dictator? Because they wouldn't be able yeah, to answer and, it. And, I, and the sad thing is we don't have a curious media. We don't have an entrepreneurial media that is enterprising out there to try to look and look for those answers or to even ask those questions. And I find that very disturbing that the establishment media is so much in lockstep with activism and progressivism that we don't have anybody who's even willing to step up, step up and ask those questions. And, when you get right down to it, if you look at the way Biden has governed, you could make a case that he has done some of the things that dictators do. Uh, he's disrupted energy production in the United States just on his own. Um, he's engaged the United States in a proxy uh, issue with uh, Ukraine and Russia across the way. He, he tries to unilaterally, unilaterally cancel all student loan debt across the country without going through Congress. And so, I mean, those are the things dictators do. So if somebody really wanted to get nitpicky, we could start listing off any number of things Biden has done that comes off as, quote, unquote, dictatorial. By the way, I'm not saying Biden is a dictator right? because I don't want to engage in that sort of thing. But he's done things unilaterally without going through the normal procedures of congressional approval and getting court approval. And, and we know that the Biden administration has been engaged uh, and manipulating social media mm-hmm. uh, to their own purposes over the years. And, and I mean, and that's the kind of stuff that dictators do. So, again, I'm not calling him a dictator, but I am saying that some of the things he's done have been done unilaterally and would suggest uh, a rather high-handed executive approach to things, which is the kind of stuff that they're afraid Trump might actually do. Well, what, I, I think um, you could make a case that all the presidents in my lifetime, at least fairly recently, have fallen in love with the executive order. Um, and you could make a case that um, that going to war, you could pick pick a war that uh, we've been involved in in the last 50 or 60 years, and it's kind of dictatorial for a president to decide we're going to war without having it declared. So you yeah, could make absolutely. that case for anybody. A lot, a lot of presidents in recent years have fallen in love with executive power, which I kind of get on one level, but it does kind of circumvent the intent of the constitutional framers. And even going back to the Obama administration, keep in mind the Obama administration uh, was using the IRS to disrupt the political yep. operations of any number of political organizations, Tea Party groups primarily. But, I mean, that, that's pretty underhanded and certainly mm-hmm. circumvents the intent, the intent of allowing citizens to express themselves. And also during the Obama administration, we had a, uh, a series of journalistic surveillances going on by the Justice Department under Eric Holder. And so, I mean, there were things happening then that smack of the kinds of things that authoritarians do. And I'm thinking we, we need to, as Americans, I think we should be opposed to all that sort of thing. And the things that happened in the Obama administration, things that are happening in the Biden administration uh, are certainly um, – questionable in terms of like letting Congress, the will of Congress take effect. 
Uh, and surveilling the, their own American people, I think, is very dangerous. Surveilling journalists is very dangerous. Disrupting the abilities of activist groups to raise money uh, without the IRS, you know, plowing through their background, I think is very dangerous. I mean, and even if we look at the Biden administration now and some of the testimony on Capitol Hill this week, when Congress was talking to uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray, talking to him about what have been their activities in monitoring Catholic organizations. I mean, when we've got the FBI monitoring a religious group, I think that's a very dangerous process. And again, that smacks of authoritarianism uh, in ways that, as far as we know, Trump didn't even do. Yeah, and you would think that the media would be, uh, again, a little bit more curious about that and a little bit more interested in asking about that. And and uh, speaking of, oh, by the way, I just thought of something. I don't know if you remember. I can't think of the guy's name. Um, he's uh, he was well, he was one of Bill Clinton's guys. He was around all the time. He's still on CNN, I think. And way back in the Clinton administration, he was quoted as saying, "Stroke of the pen, law of the land." Cool. And he was talking yeah. about executive orders. He loved them. And he yep. thought it was just great. And he was he was one of Clinton's you know prime advisors, and uh, he thought it was just great that they could just do whatever they want with a stroke of the pen. Yeah, and when you get really right down to it, uh, all the presidents of the last number of years have engaged in executive orders, some more than others. But Trump wasn't necessarily out of his lane, so to speak, when he was in office, which makes me wonder why people are so worked up about what he might do when he comes back to office, because. Normally, you think of the best predictor of future behavior is to look at past behavior. And when Trump was president, he was stymied on any number of things that he would have liked to have done. And partly he was stymied because uh, for most of his time in office, he had a Democrat-controlled Congress, which basically shows the system works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the system has worked. Trump wasn't able to do everything he was supposed right. to do. And so the people who are going to say, oh, Trump's going to be a dictator, you know, I would say if you're really worried about Trump getting elected and being a dictator, then you should all be uh, working very hard to make sure that there's a Democrat Congress uh, to hold up the show mm-hmm. and and that the federal court system adheres to the Constitution rather than becomes an activist court uh, in order to make sure that the president's authority doesn't go beyond what is stated in the Constitution. Uh, we're talking to Jeff McCall. He's communi- professor of communications at DePaul University, media critic for The Hill. Um, yeah, you talked about the word dictator and how that has obviously become the fashionable word and will be probably from now till November. Um, but as far as the media and their ability to take a word like that and beat it to death and devalue it, uh, I think the word racist could uh, qualify there. Uh, Nazi, as that used to be, you, white supremacist. You know, I'm old enough. Uh, when I was a young guy, and a, a, a white supremacist was George Wallace, who was a segregationist from Alabama. That was a white supremacist. Now that that those two words mean nothing. Nothing. They're thrown around so much. And that's the danger when you throw words around as devil terms, as I was talking about. At a certain point, they lose all relevance, and you know, people don't even know what they mean or can't even put them in context. And again, getting back to, you know, the way the, the Biden administration has worked, you know, the attorney general is Merrick Garland. And he said on a couple of different occasions in public that the biggest threat to America is domestic extremism. 
And yeah. I'm thinking, well, what does that what does that really mean? Does he really think that a Second Amendment group in southern Indiana is going to disrupt the United States government or a pro-life group is somehow going to undo the American Constitution? I mean, you know, when you've got the attorney general throwing out threats like that, that domestic extremism is the biggest threat to the United States, aside from international threats or Chinese government or Iran with nukes or any number of other things, I think that is really playing dirty. Uh, and at a certain point, I hope that the American society will just turn its back and ignore that kind of extremism. So, uh, Jeff, what do you make of um, two media outlets, the Federalist? And we have a lot of contributors from the Federalist on this show. They're great. But uh, these two media outlets, the Federalist and the Daily Wire, joining with Texas to sue the federal government for, quote, here's the quote, one of the most audacious, manipulative, secretive, and gravest abuses of power and infringements of First Amendment rights by the federal government in American history. Pretty strong stuff there. That's very strong, and it alludes back to what I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Biden administration actively trying to influence social media content uh, and trying to advocate for their positions and diminish the positions of other free-minded Americans. And uh, when I read this article earlier today uh, from The Federalist, uh, it made me wonder about the quote from John Kennedy when he was president, of course, many years ago. But John Kennedy uh, one time said, we are not afraid to entrust the American people with unpleasant facts, alien philosophies and competitive values for a nation that is afraid to let its people judge the truth and falsehood in an open market is a nation that is afraid of its people. And I think that's what we see here right now from the Biden administration. They are afraid of their own people. And I think that's why they've enlisted these organizations and social media platforms to try to restrict the flow of information and to force their ideas into the marketplace of ideas in a way that is really disruptive, I think, of letting a rational nation make its own decisions. And what do you make of advertisers... um bailing on X, former Twitter, and Elon Musk uh, then telling them to all, well, he told them to take a walk, kind of, but that isn't what he said. Yeah, that's not exactly what he said, but no. I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, I think I think these advertisers are gutless, and they're all worried about Elon Musk and, you know, the X platform these days. But I would say to all those other advertisers who, who bailed on Elon Musk and Twitter slash X, I would say to all them, they need to go and do as thorough an evaluation of all the other places that they do have advertising and make sure that they are all intellectually and socially clean and pure as well. And my guess is they haven't done that, that they are cherry-picking and kind of uh, succumbing to kind of the blackmail of the kind of the cultural left. Yeah, and um, it's interesting to me that, and I have about a minute left here, it's interesting to me that Elon Musk, uh, there's a term for, the kind of money that um, Elon Musk has, let's call it walk-around money, <laughs> um, uh, um, that he's able to do that. He said, you can't blackmail me with money. Don't you guys see who I am? I'm, I'm the richest guy in the world. You're trying to blackmail me? Yeah. And, and you know, again, it's, it's kind of dirty pool. And, you know, getting back to this uh, article about the Federalists joining with the Daily Wire in Texas to sue the censorship complex, as it says, they have listed in this article a global disinformation index, which was created by a, a private organization, and they're listing risky sites 
including real clear politics, which I find interesting because real clear politics has a great reputation as being a balanced place for people to get ideas. And the places that they list as least risky sites are crazy off the left wing side of things like USA Today and the Washington Post. So we can't even trust these global disinformation indexes that they're out there. So it'll be interesting to see where this lawsuit goes. Well, I'm out of time, but uh, I was going to ask you if, if you thought we were going to see a lot of Liz Cheney in the future. <laughs> I, I think I know what your answer would be. I'd be surprised if anything she wants to do gets traction politically or socially. All right. I appreciate you coming on as usual, Jeff. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. That's Jeff McCall of DePaul University. I'll be right back. Well, the uh, U.S. House of Representatives held some hearings yesterday about Title IX. The Biden administration would like to uh, implement the new rules, which uh, would, well, basically allow men and boys to compete against girl, women and girls, and it would be in the law, federal law, and it would um, pretty much just put an end to, well, Maybe to say it's going to put an end to women's sports in the next half hour or the next five years or whatever, that might be a little hysterical. But the long-range effect of it would be to make it really tough for girls in sports, and it would allow for idiotic men and boys, weak men and boys who weren't able to compete as men and boys to compete and excel against women. You all know that story. It's been going on for a while now. Um, and so Riley Gaines was there uh, to testify. She's been on this show. She's the swimmer uh, who uh, had to deal with Leah Thomas and race against him when his it was actually Will Thomas going by the name of Leah Thomas, and she it ended up affecting her uh, standing in the in the national swimming uh, championships NCAA's, and so she's become a real uh, loud and very well-spoken critic of the stupidity that is uh, allowing women and girls, or I'm sorry, allowing men and boys to complete, compete against women and girls. So um, there was someone there. I don't know who brought this person in. Her name is Fatima Goss Graves. She's the president and CEO of the National Women's Law Center. And Riley Gaines was there. Uh, on the on the panel, sitting a couple of seats down from this uh, Fatima Goss Graves, uh, Riley Gaines, who's now representing the Independent Women's Forum, uh, she was uh, also there, and so Marjorie Taylor Green, representative, uh, decided to question Fatima Goss Graves, and it went something like this: Watching biological men dominating real women in sports, is moving America's opinion to defend biological women and Title IX. This is a losing issue for Democrats because America fully agrees we have to protect women's sports. Ms. Goss Graves, in 2013, the National Women's Law Center tweeted, what have sports meant to you or a girl you know? Tweet it with the hashtag, and then you put the hashtag. You responded, National Girls and Women in Sports Day, I'm grateful to tennis. It is my late-night outlet that I still play 20 years after high school. Do you still play tennis, Ms. Gosgraves? 
I'm not well anymore. My knees struggle. But it's a great sport, and it's, it's always fun. Yes, I've enjoyed playing. And sport. you mentioned that you're a fan of Serena Williams. Is that right? I am. I'm a Williams sister fan. I'm a tennis fan. I'm actually a fan of most sports. I grew up playing sports and in a family that understood that there is so much value in playing sports, whether you're the best or not the best. I agree with you. And I'm a fan of Serena Williams, too. I think she's strong. I think she's powerful. And I think she's beautiful. In 2013, Serena Williams stated, if I were to play Andy Murray, I would lose six to zero, six to zero in five to six minutes, maybe 10 minutes. No, it's true. It's a completely different sport. The men are a lot faster and they serve harder. They hit harder. It's just a different game. So sounds like she can, she doesn't think she could beat men either. But let's talk about some of your comments. You said that uh, this is attacking and dehumanizing on trans. Miss um, Goss Graves, how do you think Miss Gaines felt? Do you think she felt dehumanized being forced to undress in front of men in her sports or attacked? Here's what I think. That's about a yes the, or no question. But I, if I could. Being forced to undress in front of Madam a man, Chairman, isn't that dehumanizing if I or attacking? Could this question, Madam Chairman, because. I actually think this is really, really important. The issue of privacy in locker rooms and in bathrooms, there's a wide range of So you feel like Ms. Gaines should have had privacy? To address that. You could put up a curtain. You could put up a door. You could have rotation. I reclaim my time, Ms. Gossgraves. Ms. Gaines, did you feel attacked and dehumanized? Ms. Gaines, did you feel attacked and dehumanized? I certainly did. Uh, and in swimming locker rooms, there are no curtains, there are no stalls, there are no doors. But there it could be. There could be curtains. This is, uh, we, I reclaim my time. It's Miss Gaines right now. Uh, that would be restructuring our, how we've, how I've competed in my entire 18 years of competing, uh, for what we've described in this hearing today as such a small percentage of the population. We would restructure and uproot what we're used to and, and what works and, um, allows us to be, I think we can all agree a locker room in general is not a, is not a comfortable place. Even of course in dressing in front of all women. But growing up a swimmer in that environment, again for 18 years of my life, you, you become comfortable being vulnerable in that environment. And I had, and my teammates and my competitors, we had our vulnerability stripped from us by the leaders of the NCAA, uh, and again those who implemented this policy. Thank you, Ms. Gaines. I yelled. Yeah, so that was Riley Gaines, who's a superstar, by the way. As I said, she not that long ago, she was just a college kid, a uh, swimmer, who was um, one of the best swimmers in the country. And now she's a major spokesperson for the uh, uh, preservation of women's sports and someone who's doing a really good job of pointing and a, gut, a gutsy job, by the way. She's going to college campuses and doing lectures and having violence uh, take place and getting violent threats and all that stuff. You probably know the story about her, uh, but there she was. And so uh, she she was there to testify, and she told her story. And then Summer Lee, who is a socialist, believe it or not, and uh, represents um, this area as a congresswoman. She represents Allegheny County, uh, which is where I'm sitting right now, in Pittsburgh. And um, she... Uh, implied that Riley Gaines was transphobic for her because of her opinions about men 
and boys competing against uh, women and girls. And so then Riley Gaines called, said, said, Summer, to, said to Summer Lee, this is why she's a superstar, uh, she said, well, if I'm transphobic, then you're misogynist. And, uh, and Summer Lee didn't like that, so she wanted to have that stricken from the record. And I don't, it's, it's too much of a, I, I don't understand the rules of, uh, of parliamentary rules there. So there was some reason why it couldn't be struck from the record. But anyway, that's where Summer Lee, uh, came down on this issue. And then I, I don't even have time. I was going to run a sound bite from, uh, Alexandria overrated Cortez. And I, it's just too long. It goes on forever. But she's, she's talking about how this is really bad for women and girls because part of the, uh, in some states, in order to prevent males from competing against females, they're going to go as far as having them, having their, uh, well, having them drop their pants. Let's just put it that way in order to prove that they are the correct sex to, to be, um, to be taking part in this, in the activity. And, um, and that just really scandalizes, uh, AOC and she thinks that's terrible. And she said it just doesn't have, there's, there aren't that many instances because there are, this transgender people aren't, um, there aren't that many of them. It's not even 1% of the population, which is true, which is funny because she, they, they, they use this argument when it benefits them. They say it's only 1% of the, what it's actually like, 0.4%, but that's only 1% of the population, so why are we making such a big deal about this? They'll say that in a situation like this, when they want to allow uh, the the few idiotic men who want to compete against women, they want to allow them to do it. it well, come on, it's, uh, you're only talking about a small percentage of the population. Give them a break. But then they'll go into a school and tell kids they have to learn 72 different pronouns to, to make sure they accommodate this 0.4% of the people, or that they have to allow uh, a, a boy in a, in a girl's locker room in, in a high school, in an athletic locker room, even though that's, you know, he might be the only transgender person in the school, everything has to change because of him. Anyway, that's what was going on. AOC was trying to pull that. So now I want to finish with this, because this is the all-time best refutation and just debunking of the whole thing. This is Representative Lisa McLean yesterday. Listen to this. What have we lost our minds? I sat here and listened to every every label imaginable. I I am here to protect women, girls. My God, why do I have to apologize for that? We spent decades trying to protect women. And you know what? We won. We won. So I will not apologize now or ever for trying to protect my daughters and women in sports. And that's what this hearing was about. Protecting women. So you know what? I am a woman, and let me tell you, hear me roar, because I will not stop protecting women. You want to know why? Because we have rights, too. Women have rights, too. And our daughters have rights, too. Let me be explicitly clear on that. And I will never stop protecting our daughters. I will never stop protecting women. That is my job as a mother, and it is the right thing to do. 
this hearing today has been extremely informative and heartbreaking. Frankly, I am mystified by the Biden administration's shameless failures to protect women's rights. We talk about protecting women's rights like that's such a bad thing, that that's so evil to protect women's rights. Have we lost our mind? The administration's proposed Title IX rule will rewind decades of progress in women's rights. The Biden administration is weakening Title IX by allowing all males who identify as women to participate in women's sports. Okay, identify as woman. How about just be a woman? Why can't I protect my women? Why can't I protect my daughters? Uh, how would you like to answer that? And I didn't, I don't know if it was answered. I just, I saw that somewhere today and I had to replay it because it's just really, really good. And it's just so obvious. I, and, and it brings me back to uh, what I don't understand. I, I will never understand this is how a man, I'm talking about a man who's not a, a girly man, I guess, sorry, uh, could vote for a Democrat today. These these people like uh, Fatima Goss Graves, who you heard being questioned by Marjorie Taylor Greene, they know nothing about sports, nothing. She, during her testimony, before she was questioned there by Marjorie Taylor Greene, she had said that eh, it would be good for women and girls to learn how to lose gracefully. Uh, to men. So they tell a, a girl or a woman who's been working all her life and gets to the point where she's at the pinnacle of her sport, and then some guy strolls in and uh, beats her in a race or swimming or whatever the whatever the uh, activity may be, and they're supposed to lose gracefully. Only someone who has never played as much as a pickup game much less played at a high level uh, in, in a competitive sport, that um, that anybody would suggest that. You would, you would have to have zero experience of ever throwing a ball back and forth with somebody. It's just you're, you, have, you have no right to even have an opinion on it. You're so stupid if you would make that statement. It's just unbelievable to me. And so... I, I somehow sometimes I get the fact that women are on okay with some of this and they're not seeing how stupid it is uh, as far as um, protecting women, as we've heard in some of these comments. Th- maybe they think you know, like like uh, Fatima Goss Graves said, you know, put up a curtain, okay, but they don't understand the whole concept of women and girls ha- having men competing against them, and. As I've been saying now for years, I've said it many times here on the show, all of this, what you just heard here, the, the, the sound bites you just heard, and what I told you that AOC said, and what this Fatima Goss Graves person tried to say, it's all useless. The debate is absolutely useless because when you hear what these supposedly intelligent people, uh, people who are actual elected officials, Congress women, and other people in the media who are supposed to be smart, when they don't get how stupid it is for anybody to force a girl or a woman to compete against, with or against men or boys, um, 
if they don't see that and they try to make what they think are intelligent arguments, it just it tells me that it, it, it just it comes down to the one solution that I wrote about in a column four years ago. And it's never going to change, and it will never not be a perfect solution. And that is for women and girls who think this is bad, and most of them do, when it happens, quit. Don't show up. And if if you are on a team, a women's team, a girls' team, and the coach introduces a new player, a new teammate, and this new teammate happens to have a penis and walk around in the locker room showing it to you, quit. Tell the coach. See, it can't be one or two because then it requires, you know, the guts to do it and lose your scholarship, and you don't want to be the only one. It doesn't work if one or two do it. Every girl walks in to the coach's office and says, hey, I see you just brought a guy in here. One, Two things. We don't want to compete with him. We don't want to see him walking around naked in our locker room. We don't want him looking at us naked in our locker room. He stays. We go. We quit. And if you go to a track meet with your with your girls' track team and you look across the way and you see that the opposing team showed up with a six-foot guy with hairy legs, you go up to your coach and you say, Hey, coach, I see they brought a guy with them. We're not racing today. We're not competing today. And the coach goes and tells the opposing coach, hey, there's not going to be a meet if that guy is, is on your team. And if, if all, and the women on the guy's team should do the same thing. If everybody does that 100%, the problem disappears in five minutes. I'll be right back. Well, it's December, and uh, I, I guess that's pretty obvious to everybody that they're you know, at night it tends to get a little bit colder in December than it does in, say, July. So the uh, subject of the homeless has been coming up more and what to do with them, or I think you're supposed to refer to them as the houseless now, whatever, people who don't have any place to live and what to do with them. And there's been a discussion in Allegheny County Council about what to do with the homeless who are on the streets now who are surviving, I guess, or have been surviving when the weather has been relatively warm. We've had a couple of nights, I guess, a couple of weeks ago where it got into the 20s. But um, And what to do with them, and and there aren't enough shelters and the usual stuff. And I still, I'm still waiting to find out what happened to vagrancy laws. Um, you're not supposed to live on the street in a tent. You're just not. And... You can feel compassion for the people whose lives have gotten to the point where they live on a in a tent on the sidewalk. Things are pretty bad if you've reached that point. But I, if you look at it in a different way, what as a, a city government? Because it doesn't happen for some reason. This doesn't happen in Mount Lebanon and Sewickley. Are there any people living in tents on the sidewalks in Sewickley? I don't think so. So it tends to happen in places like the city of Pittsburgh or the city of Philadelphia or San Francisco or pick one. And it just seems they, they have these discussions about what to do and, and, and how sorry we're supposed to feel for the people in this position. And as I said, you can be, you can feel sorry as you want for them and we should. But if the city that you live in can't 
do any take care of something as basic as preventing people from living in tents on the sidewalk then what good are they or you know and and pooping on the sidewalks and leaving needles on the sidewalks it it shouldn't matter what what the solution is or can be or or what the debate is I should say there should be no debate no I guess I guess what I'm saying is there could be a debate but there should be no discussion about whether or not they should just not be there in the first place be removed it's the city government I don't want them I don't want to walk into my business in downtown Pittsburgh and have to walk by some guy taking a leak against the wall you know it just shouldn't be that hard to figure it out so figure it out please I'll talk to you tomorrow Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.